Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. I continue to just be honored at how people that I've admired and been mentored by, you know, over years end up becoming my colleagues and then friends. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about this business and building a personal brand is like, if you are first a student, then you just end up finding your ways to meet amazing people. And that's, you know, who Andy Andrews is to me. I was first a student of his. Um, Andy is incredible. So he has been on national television more than 200 times. He has 25 books that have been translated into 40 different languages. Um, His, the, the, probably the two most biggest bestsellers, one is called The Traveler's Gift, one is called The Noticer. Traveler's Gift is my favorite. AJ loves The Noticer. AJ also loves The Heart Mender, which um, is one that you may not hear as much, just really, really good. But Andy, as a speaker, has spoken for four US presidents. Um, he has coached the Special Operations Command for our country. He's been part of nine consecutive national football, uh, college national football championship teams in a row. Uh, He's been married for over 30 years. And I just, you know, as I think about the people that we wanted on this faculty that you could learn from and go, man, this is somebody who's impacted millions and millions of people. Andy was an obvious choice to have. He also has a new book out. It's just worth mentioning. It's called The Bottom of the Pool. And that just came out in June 2019, which shares some of his biggest business secrets that he actually was under contract to not share here until recently. So Andy, thanks for being here, man. Hey, buddy. Man, I'm honored to be here. And I could grief. I, it's uncomfortable to sit and listen to somebody say that mean nice things about you. But I appreciate it. I'm honored to be here with you. Well, and I just, I get that, you know, it, it is kind of always weird to hear someone, but it's also like, wow, you've done so much and well, think- it's, been, it's been a long climb to the middle for me. And, and I, <laughs> I, I hear all these things and I'll be like, Rory, dude, will you call my wife? Tell her some of these things. <laughs> well, I remember watching you speak. I saw you twice <laughs> when I was a kid in my teens and then early 20s. Once was at the National Speakers Association. And I remember just being like, man, this guy's amazing. And you were there? You were there at that? Yeah, I was there like as a young, like one of my first or second NSA conferences. 
it's the only one I've ever done. So I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I was there. And I think, you know, for, I imagine that a lot of the people watching now, some of them are very established. A lot of them are established. They might be a doctor or a lawyer or a, you know, a fitness, you know, celebrity or whatever. But in the world of speaking, most of them are watching because they're like, I want to speak. I want to stand on, I want to be on those big platforms, inspiring millions of people. But like, I guess my first question is, what does it really take to make it in the industry? Is this, Let's talk about speaking first, and then we'll talk about writing and all of that. But, you know, you've been around for years speaking, you know, dozens of times every year, some of the world's biggest stages for some of the biggest companies, national football teams. Why do you think you've been able to get to that level and stay at that level for such a long time? That's a great question. Even the Speakers Bureau said to me one time, they said, you know, most speakers have arcs. You know, they land the plane on the Hudson and then they speak for three years, but, you know, that story has been told. Or, or they have a specific thing and that once you cover everybody and then cover everybody twice, it's hard to keep booking you. And, and they said that I was one of the very few that ever experienced that didn't have an arc and, you know, or a career arc. And I told him, I said, well, the reason is because I'm a nobody. You know, I mean, it's easy to have an arc if you have done something, you know, like I have five Super Bowl rings or something, you know, but I don't have any Super Bowl rings. You know, I don't have any gold medals. I wasn't the hero of some national disaster. I'd never been the CEO of some major company or I don't have a radio show. I don't have a television show. I'm a dad and I'm a husband. I'm a friend and I'm, you know, concerned citizen. I'm a I'm a buddy, and and I have developed an expertise over time at noticing things that are valuable to people. Mm. And so there are two answers to your question. One is you say, how do you do that and continue to climb and over time and remain relevant? That is a key to remain relevant. We all have authors that we don't read anymore, right? I mean, we have conversations sometimes we go, do you read so-and-so? Yeah, yeah. I used to read those books a lot. Oh, you don't now? Mm, no, no. Why not? Well, you know, it's just kind of bit, got to be the same thing. Mm. Oh, okay. And so a lot of authors and speakers will hit on something, and maybe it's because they are a massive expert in something, okay? And I have never been a massive expert at anything, but I am hugely dedicated to learning details that are valuable to other people that most people never see. You and I know I have a background in comedy. And, you know, what a comedian does is to notice things that nobody else notices. And then when you bring them up, everybody goes, my gosh, we all do that, don't we? And I mean, that's part of what a comedian does. And so to take that same thought process and put it into creating value for clients and for people and for families and for organizations and for CEOs and for churches and for communities. And so to have inside yourself a passion for learning things that are valuable to others. Yeah, that's like such a great... I'm, you know, typing here my own notes and I was just like, that is such a great tweetable moment of, it is so simple. Like, 
So is The Noticer, you know, The Noticer is such an incredible book. Do you think that that book and what ended up being sort of like foreshadowing of your career was just like, you know, the guy who sees things that everybody sees, but like turns them into lessons? To a great degree. And, you know, I even have a thing I do now called The Professional Noticer. And it's like my own thing, you know, and but that was it was a foreshadowing because Jones, that old man that came into my life years ago when I was living under a pier and in and out of people's garages, you know, this old man, that's what he called himself. He said, I'm a noticer. And when God was passing out talents, I didn't get the cool ones. I can't run fast. I can't sing great. But I notice little things that make a difference to other people. And obviously, I've thought about that for years and years and years and years. Yeah, decades now. The thing I love about it is just there's such an inherent service of that. It's like in the personal brand, you know, I think this is one of the things that's so frustrating to me is that the personal brand is not about the person. It's about the value they provide to other people. Like even what you're saying is noticing things that are of value to others and just like paying attention to that. And that is an expertise. So I've never thought about that with you before. Like what is Andy Andrews an expert on? But like that is your thing. Like that is what you do so very, very well. So can we talk about the books for a second? Because Bottom of the Pool is your 25th book. If you say so. I have no idea. I'm (laughs) sure somebody told you that. I honestly don't know. How do you write so many books? Like I once heard somebody say, you know, the first book is easy to write. It's the second book that's hard because it's like the first book is like your life stories. But then after that is. Yeah, it's like a comedian's body of work. If you want to find the funniest albums in a comedian's body of work, go for the first and the third. Skip the second one because, you know, the comedian has spent his entire life with the material that became that 45 minutes or an hour for that first thing that got him noticed or got her noticed. And and that first hour and people ate it up. And then all the money people came in and said, man, come on, come on. We've got to have something to follow up. We ain't have one album out there. Come on. We've got to have something to follow it up. And so, you know, spent a whole lifetime gathering the material that everybody loved and six months gathering the material that was it's mm, not, not as funny as you know but the people who last learn their lesson quickly now i have not been smart in a bunch of ways as a writer and i'll tell you what those are Because if you want to just make a ton of money and that's all you want to do, there's a lot of people that can tell you how to make a ton of money. And a lot of that has to do with what you have to do and what you have to be on a daily and monthly and yearly basis. And I was told right at the beginning of, you know, when the Traveler's Gift hit, you know, that was my first novel and that was my first book with a major publisher. And I was told right off the bat, you know, I was signed to a three book deal, a book a year. And I quickly realized I do a book a year. I don't know how to do a book a year. And the thing that I didn't understand at the time, but I began to understand and it kind of got me, I say in trouble, not in trouble, but they were disappointed in me because I was obviously not going to be one of these guys that pumped out book after book after book, year after year after year after year, and built themselves into this thing where there is a 
core group of, you know, I don't know, 500,000 or a million people that just buy everything. But for the most part, you know, when you step back and look at it, this is not everybody. And this is more me. I'm talking about what I sure figured out I had to do. I did not want to become derivative. What does that mean? I didn't want to have somebody go, wow, you know, I'm four books into Andy Andrews stuff now and it's kind of the same story the same, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's kind of the same message just like over and over again. And so I realized I would tell him, I said, I have to learn. I got to be with my kids. I got to be with my family. I've got to walk around out there. I'm a relatively young person. I don't know enough to write a book a year mm-hmm. unless I continue to do the same thing and put it in a different way. Okay. You want to persist. Let's persist. Okay. And the next book is about perseverance. And the next book is about staying in the game. And it's like, come on, really? I mean, because at some point, the audience or your readers, at some point, people go, oh, it's kind of the same thing. And so I said, you know, and so it was to detriment of my career to not do that because I thought I'm not here just for this one time. These books that I write, I want to write books that last a hundred years. I don't want to write books that in three years you read the book and go, well, I know when that was written. Boy, that was written before the internet. Boy, that was written when Britney Spears was huge. Boy, that was written when General Hospital was on the air. I mean, I don't want to write books like that. I want to write books that your grandchildren can pick it up. And unless they look at the date, they don't really know. Now, when was this? And so it has taken me a long time. My writing was trailing my learning. And so because I only learned so much and so fast and was determined not to lap that, I did not want to get my writing ahead of my learning that it has taken me a while to get to where I really can put out some books now because I'm connecting dots for people faster than I'm able to put a book out. And so that's, and the other part of it is just being a detriment to my career, I'm sure, was that I want to do something that's valuable for you. You and I, Rory, have been around enough people in our lives that are enamored with what they do, and it's hard not to be in this business because, you know, if people are coming up to you all the time going, is your orange juice okay? Are you excellent? That was something I was going to ask you about, too, is like the whole being committed of service to others when... You know, some people are drawn to this because you have the stage and the lights and, you know, if you do a great job, if you do an incredible job, you know, you make an impact and people are so grateful and gracious is, is, is the, is the humility. So just before we move into that, because I do think that's interesting on this last little part, you were saying what it sounds like to me is like, you have to be a great reader before you can be a great writer. Like you have to be a good learner before you're a good teacher and you've your entire career like you chose at some point to slow down the release of books so that the learning could be out in front so that you were always, you know, and that's where you were saying when the writing is lagging behind, it's like it's lagging behind your learning. Lagging behind my learning. Yeah. Love that. Because ultimately 
the book, The Bottom of the Pool, it's all about the thought process. You know, The Bottom of the Pool is not a book where you go, okay, these are the seven things you got to do and then you're successful or, you know, okay, these are the four things you do and then you're all of a sudden, you're, you know, it's not that. I told my son the other day, my 19-year-old, I said, buddy, I said, I wrote this book for you and your younger brother because one day, I mean, you know, when I'm gone, the world is obviously changing all the time. Technology changes. And I said, so people will always tell you, this is how you have to do it now, or this is the industry standard. Well, you know, look at best practices. Well, I said, there are always people to tell you how to do whatever. And I said, all they're doing, it may even be a great average, but they're contributing to the average. I said, at some point, you are going to have to learn how to think to a different conclusion than everybody else has come to. You know, that is the only way. And if you look at the quotes on the book, I spent a number of years now working with some specific companies and specific teams and so to create results that are just ridiculous. And so if you're really, if you're a multi-billion dollar company and you want to double in a year, well, can you find some other multi-billion dollar company in the mortgage industry like you are that has doubled ever in a year ever? Okay. Well, if you keep thinking like they think, you ain't even got a chance. Mm-hmm. Like you have to elevate your thinking. Yeah. Or in this metaphor, deepen your thinking to the bottom of the pool. Because that, that, yeah. that name does sound like a horror movie, doesn't it? The bottom of the pool. But it's <laughs> expand your boundaries and break through some of those stuff to a deeper understanding. I remember one of the other books that you wrote, which was a short read, but at the time, I have to say it wasn't my favorite. But since I've been like, man, this book had a huge impact on my life was you wrote a book called How Do You Kill 11 Million People? You know, it was about the Jews and the Nazis and like all this stuff that was happening. You go through the whole book and then it's like, how do you kill 11 million people? You lie to them. That was so simple. And I've been like, Wow, people will lie. Like governments will lie. CEOs will lie. Like people will lie. And until you learn to think for yourself, I mean, that had such a profound impact. And I think for a personal brand, right? Like you are the noticer, you are the conduit of great ideas. We have to be the ones that are deepening our thinking, that are not just kind of going with the flow. And so I think you know, to hear you talk about how you've systematically kind of done that. So that's what every book is like that. It's a deeper level of thinking. It's a new thing that you notice. I think you use the phrase connect the dots. It's like you see a a pattern or a theme and then you kind of come in and you're like, okay, there's enough instances of this that I'm going to just kind of connect the dots. And that's a book. Right. It's curious because that's the other thing I was going to say that has probably hurt my career is you can't find all my books in one place in the bookstore. I wish they would put all the books in the Andy Andrews place or whatever (laughs) place that is, but you can't find them there because I've had, you know, nonfiction, fiction, children's, current events, Mm -hmm. those different lists. I've had business. You've even had like spiritual, like, yeah, you've been all over. And so it's one of those kind of things where, you know, if you stick to what you do, okay, well, I figured out something pretty valuable 
with that how to kill 11 million people thing. I figured out something that there is something beyond what is true, and that's called the truth. If you go beyond what is true, all the way to the bottom of the pool, you can often find the truth. And the problem in business and in our personal lives is most of us stop with what is true. And why wouldn't you? It's true. It's the answer. It's obvious. It, that's the right answer. It's true. But, and it produces results. And you can be in first or second place and still be only dealing with what is true. But if you want to double or triple your results, if you want to get to a different level of thing, you got to go find what is the truth. Now, a quick example is like if you took a blind person and put them in, you know, in a room and said, we've got an animal here. You never heard of it. It's called an elephant. Going to give you a few minutes with it. Want you to tell us what it's like and tell us, you know, how we could use it in society. And after ten minutes, the blind person may say, "Well, an elephant's very wide, very tall, flat. You use them for a gate. Several of them for a wall." See, that's true. All that's true. It's not the truth, because until you got to the bottom of the pool about an elephant you would never have a complete picture of what an elephant's really like or have any idea of the many ways it could be used. And so with the idea that the Nazis lied. Yeah, well, that's true. And everybody knows it's true. You know, boy, man, they killed 11 million people. You know, they created a world war for everybody. They were liars. They were deceivers. Well, everybody knows it's true. Okay, but the thing that kept bugging me the thing I kept trying to go to the bottom of the pool on that would have application for us today, dealing with our families and the organizations and dealing with our own governments, the thing that had application to me was, and it kept bothering me about the Holocaust, is like, how do you kill 11 million people? Now, I'm not saying how do you do it, like, like what weapons? Right, yeah, yeah, weapons. And I'm not saying, like, how crazy do you have to be to do it? Okay, what I'm saying is, we've all seen the pictures of the people at the railway stations, thousands of them loading themselves onto cattle cars, and there's a, a Nazi soldier here with a machine gun, and 10 yards down there's another one with a machine gun. What's going on? How do you get these people to load themselves peacefully onto cattle cars week after week, month after month, after a month until 11 million were killed. Why aren't they running? Why don't they fight? Why don't they rush the guards? Why don't they hide? What's going on? How do you kill 11 million people? And when I found the answer, just like you, I was so stunned, I could not believe it. And that is, you lie to them. You create a policy of lies. And they had four, and you can get the book, I don't know to tell you the whole thing, but they had four different directives that were policies about what they would say, how they would lead them into the trap of believing them, you know, how they would go and negotiate with them and they would take their money and then give them food and say, you're fine. You're everything. And the people are thinking if they were going to kill us, they would just kill us. They wouldn't take our money and give us food in exchange. So they're not going to kill us. 
Okay. And you know, you lead them to the point where you're going, Hey, we got to get out of here today. We got to get out of here because the Russian troops are coming over the hill and we've got a place down here where we've got schools, factory jobs for all the men. The women will stay at home. The kids are schools. And so just if your fathers board your people on the trains, please get them on. And peacefully they did. It was you lie. Yeah. So I think that was profound. And even though you're not an expert per se on anything, it's like your superpower is noticing things like that. Thinking through it. Thinking through it. It's like we have to advance the level of thinking that has been done for people. And it seems like, you know, that is a big part of what your superpower is. So I know we're running short on time. There's another little element that I want to just kind of ask you. It's kind of like a little bit of a curveball, but you brought up comedy. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but you know, I never really noticed the parallel between what you do, like your superpower and comedy, but they are the same thing. It's noticing the thing that most people don't pay attention to, but it like happens to everybody is you're also hilarious on stage and you've always been so funny. And it's like, it helps a lot to be funny in the speaking world. So like if you had to teach comedy or if there was something where it's like somebody was not funny, like, do you feel like you were just born with it? Or is there something that you have learned in a way that's like, you know, practical that anyone could take to become funnier in their writing and in their speaking? Yeah, I think, I think you can learn to do it. I think now, as far as the speaking goes, there are so many things that are skill sets, okay, within that. But there's kind of a talent thing too. But that basic talent, just being able to talk, everything after that is a skill that you add on to it. And the funny part is not to tell jokes. You know, comedians don't tell jokes. You know, you do material, you come up with observations. And so so if you narrow it down and look at where are these things all coming from, They're coming from who is aggravated by this? What have we missed? What is the exaggeration of this? And what if I dialed in really closely on this? Basically four different things. There's some offshoots from those. You know, I mean, you don't talk about the exaggerations, you know, you don't talk about a guy who's six foot five, you know, you walked into the gym and I'm playing basketball against a guy who's bigger than Sasquatch. This guy is like 11 feet tall. (laughs) It's a funnier story. And everybody knows he's not 11 feet tall, but it's a funny story. It's exaggeration, you know, and then, you know, there's so many ideas of, you know, what have we missed? Okay, you know, I I used to do a bit about and I would get into it by saying something about, wow, did you hear that in Texas? They did another like execution there and the prison systems and they you know how they do it in Texas, don't you? They do it with a lethal injection. Which is a shot is basically what it is. I mean, you, you grow up, you're terrified of shots and now they're executing with shot. But I always wonder, you know, when you execute somebody with a shot, do they still rub the alcohol? <laughs> like, we don't want to infect you. We just want to kill you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, it's just um, a thought process of an observation and dialing into something that everybody's seeing. 
And another way, Rory, too, is what is the opposite of this? Uh, what is the opposite of this? So basically, if you just kind of like go, okay, notice the things that frustrate you. And then you kind of work on that a little bit. Or, right. Because you think about those. Am I the only one? Am I the only one seeing this? And then you tell and people go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How many of those are there, right? Uh-huh. Well, I never made that connection, but that makes so much sense. It's just like, you're a noticer. Like, as it turns out, like, that's what I think Andy Andrews, part of your superpower, which makes you funny and profound and insightful and intelligent, is you notice things that are of value to other people and that are entertaining to other people. So got to be a little entertaining so they will listen long enough to figure out what's valuable. Yeah. But maybe there's not as much randomness as one might think on the surface to the, all the various things that you've talked about. There's That's right. And here's the great, I mean, you didn't ask this, but this is one of the best things I ever took from comedy and taking it into a speaking career. And that is, you know, people will look at comedians they love and go, it's just like that came out of nowhere, man. It's just so spontaneous. It's just unbelievable. You know, people used to say that about Robin Williams. And Robin did have a lot of spontaneity, but that was only because he was allowed it. But it wasn't, I mean, in a typical performance, it might be, I don't know, eight or nine or ten percent, maybe spontaneous. But it's like this is not spontaneous. You know, on The Tonight Show, we saw him do this five nights in a row at the comedy store before he did it on The Tonight Show. And so what you're wanting to create is the illusion of spontaneity. You want to create the illusion of it. I use this in my speaking a lot because I tell people, you know, we're just having a conversation here. And you know, I'm not really doing a speech. We're just kind of, because if I was doing a speech, man, I'd have to be nervous because you would be <laughs> demanding that I be incredible. And I already know that I'm not. And so, you know, let's just kind of have a conversation. And in fact, we'll just pretend we're in a big living room having a conversation and I'll go first. But what I'm saying about creating the illusion of spontaneity that I use a lot in speaking is I will create a situation I know where I'm going. Now, the more it looks like, and you know, you've seen me, Rory, on stage. People go, he's kind of nuts. I mean, it's like, this is the ADD poster child. I mean, and I know that. I understand. But I want him to think that. Because why do people go to bull riding? Why do people go to NASCAR? It's like, you can't take your eyes off of it. There might be a wreck here any moment, okay? And how many speakers have you listened to? It's like, they're just bored out of their minds. The information may be incredible, but if you haven't got something, and so what I want to do is I want to create something where the audience is involved with it. I know where I'm going. I'll give you an example. I used to do a routine. In fact, I heard it the other day on Sirius XM. So I haven't been booked as a comedian for years. and Every day, I'm on Sirius XM comedy channels. Uh -huh. and, but I heard this one on Sirius XM the other day, and I was like, wow. I used to do this routine about Lassie. Remember that? And you're the so dog. young. I don't yeah. know if you remember no, Lassie. Vaguely, yep. Yeah. 
So Lassie and Timmy, and I used to do this bit about Lassie, but rather than saying, like most people would go, hey, do you remember Lassie? You remember Lassie from television? You know, wasn't it funny how Lassie would do that? I mean, that's what a lot of people would do. Okay, but what I want to do is I want to say, and so maybe we're talking about television or something or some comment about television. Go, man, when I grew up, we had great television shows. I mean, I, I don't, I wonder, we had animal shows. Animal shows, what, do they have animal shows now? I don't even know if they have. You look like my age, we had like Gentle Ben and Flipper and Rin Tin Tin and uh, Fury, the horse. And invariably, somebody's going to go, Lassie, La- Lassie. Like, remember Lassie? Remember how Lassie would, and, and she would come across and you go, yeah, Lassie would. But see, I do my bit, and the audience is going, dang, man, somebody just said Lassie, and the dude does four minutes on it. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's the illusion of spontaneity. Well, you've gone far with this simple skill and trait of noticing. And I think that's been super insightful for me, hopefully for the people watching, is just like the the power of tuning in to what are the things that other people aren't seeing and then developing those, whether it's for entertainment or it's for insight. Um, That's that's a super powerful lesson and uh, we just appreciate you so much and we wish you the best and hopefully we'll see you you back here again sometime. And- uh, Thank you, buddy. Anytime you ask, I'm with you. So Andy, where do you want people to go if they want to like learn more about you, stay connected with you and you know, all of the stuff that you're up to? Well, they can meet me at Publix. I shop at Publix for <laughs> groceries. So you find more about me at Publix. Uh, I, you know, I, I have a podcast too. It's not, it's not as big a deal as yours, but it's called The Professional Noticer. And we do it every week and we answer questions and laugh and I have a great time. But The Professional Noticer is my podcast and then we're also doing stuff with uh wisdom harbor and andyandrews.com so well that's awesome it, it, as it turns out that's a good title for your podcast is not as much randomness to andy andrews as one might think and you are a professional noticer thank you for showing us uh what that looks like a little bit behind the scenes and keep keep making us laugh man keep inspiring us we love it and uh, we appreciate you so much thank you buddy honored to be here That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free lifetime access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we will get you set up with free lifetime access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation. 